Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyoli, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk to the sexiest, most thoughtful humans to inspire our curiosities and sex lives and to make the most ripples of love across the whole wide world possible. As always, please keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, unless you were talking to either one of us through our OnlyFans, and enjoy. Our guest today is a white with a pinch of Egyptian ex-Mormon sex witch slash fuck witch with Christian mystic leanings, a queer cis femme who claims to be chronologically 41 but really must be magical because she looks much younger. She is polyamorous, has been engaged to herself for four years, and is also dabbling in a three-month situationship. She loves receiving foot worship, really any kind of worship, and, from the right person, spankings. She is a switch when it comes to paddling, bondage and restraints, is into pony, puppy, and kitty play, and also identifies as a star fucker, rock stars, famous, and even quasi-famous people. A closet goth, former cult member and stripper, she now works as a love and sacred intimacy coach, a professional courtesan, i.e. legal hooker, and an OnlyFans bay. She splits her time between Salt Lake City and Las Vegas. Welcome, Natasha Rose. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was an amazing intro. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear all of your details, but can you start off by telling us if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shameometer, with 10 being the most full of shame and one being not so shamey, where do you fall today, right now? Today, I would say like a two, but I would say, including work stuff, I'm usually like a three. Okay. Can you give us a little like, history of your shame-a-meter fluctuations over the years just if you had to like where you've come from and where you are now and when it's the lowest and the highest and what pokes it the most especially if it's related to work honestly like I used to be so curious that I didn't really get hung up in the shame which is weird because I grew up in a very conservative anti-sex culture but I just had this curiosity and desire that was just insatiable and so I think that my involvement in the sex industry kind of added a lot of layers of shame to be honest okay but it sounds like also it's come down so here's the thing I'm deeply empathetic and so I think that I'm really sensitive to external shame and I internalize that a lot and so I've done a lot of work on myself so it's easier for me to identify like where the shame is stemming from like I have to do regular grounding techniques and kind of like energetic cleanses to kind of like strip off these layers of shame so that I don't start identifying them as my own yeah. and so as long as I'm really good about doing that there's not this layer of like shame plaque yeah 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 totally <laughs> uh, it's usually just this like little shame film residue when are the moments that you've been like the lowest, most like sex loving, shame free? Like if you're around certain friends or like, is it different if you talk personal life versus work life? I think probably the most free I ever was, was when I was living in Wisconsin and I was dating and living with a professional dominatrix and <gasps> we just had so much fun. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Wait, were you guys an item or like? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she had a boyfriend at the time and it was their home that I moved into, but we would all sleep in the same king size bed together. And even though I didn't feel like I was sexually compatible with him, he and I would like tag team her and it was super, super fun. So once we got our dynamic worked out, it was like so amazing. And even beyond that, like she at the time was ostracized from her bio family. And so she had created this like huge chosen family and network in that city. And so I just got to step into that. And so there were orgies, there were play parties. Our life was like highly sexual, highly public. 
And it was just like this beautiful network and community where we took care of each other. And there was like a lot of sexual freedom. There was a lot of sex positivity. And it was just this like golden era, which was also the beginning of my sex work career when I started stripping. And it was just full of expression and freedom and mutual care and community. And it was just so, so gorgeous. And that was when I was like the most shame free. And I think a little element of that was that I was so far away from my family. Like I wasn't worried about how my shenanigans would like affect the way that people perceived them. And so it was really, really liberating. Oh my God. What an excellent tease. I am so excited to hear more details. But first, can you give us just a little overview of what's your sex life like right now? And what are your favorite parts? Honestly, my like real sex life includes a lot of self-pleasure. So I do a lot of sex magic with my self-pleasure and a lot of deity work. So I fuck gods while I'm self-pleasuring and things like that. <laughs> so that's, cool. that's a huge part of like my pandemic life involves. I mean, some people would call it fantasy, but I call it like deity work. And mm. it's like part of my spiritual practice. Awesome. For someone who maybe has no experience with sex magic, can you give just a couple sentences so that those of us who require really tangible things can like latch on to what exactly it is for you? Sure. I think it's different for different sex witches. But for me, part of the ritual is setting a specific intention. A lot of times it's money abundance. Sometimes it's calling in a specific type of partner that I would really love to be in partnership with. And so you create a container. I kind of riff off of Layla Martin's work around sex magic, where I try not to think about specific people. I just work with like a fantasy archetype or just an essence of what I'm looking to find in real life, not getting so specifically attached to a specific person because she kind of talks about that in the framework of being like black magic, so to speak. And so I try to avoid that. But sometimes I fuck myself on a pile of money. When I was stripping, I had a regular who spoiled me for my birthday and brought $1,000 in a Sephora gift bag. And so 500 of that I put in the bank, but I keep $500 in single dollar bills that I spread all over the bed. Sometimes I put hundreds and twenties in there as well, but wow. it's just like for volume and it's really, really fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so fun. Yeah. And sometimes it's more energetic. Sometimes I do like a five senses reality where I imagine my ideal outcome of the intention that I set and I flesh out like what it tastes like, what it smells like, what it feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like. Mm. And I kind of hold that perfect moment of success in my mind. And then I cycle energy through each of my chakras and then blast it out through my crown chakra into the universe. And then I feel acceptance and permission to have this experience rain down through my body from the universe. It's a really beautiful process. Beautiful. Okay, can you now please tell us what is sexy to Natasha Rose? I mean, kind of like my sense of humor, I have a pretty broad sense of what's sexy to me. I'm a pretty like lusty, horny person. <laughs> but to give you specifics, what really, really turns me on, confidence presence, generosity, curiosity, mm. integrity, kindness, consistency, and nurturance. Okay. Those are great words. <laughs> okay. People say confidence a lot. What is confidence to you? Like what's sexy confidence? And is it feeling confident or is it also seeing confident? Is it both? Yes. Well, and this is like a magical or energetic idea, but like attracts like. 
I think that if I'm confident, I'm more likely to attract someone who is confident themselves. Yeah. And when I'm not confident, especially at work, I think there's this tendency to attract people who are like predators and right. kind of want to feed off of that vulnerability that's not respected or cherished. But to answer your question about confidence, the thing that turns me on the most is like swaggery confidence. So it's that like charisma and pizzazz and that like sparkle that I think is like the most prominent marker of confidence. But there are also quieter markers of confidence, like body posture, the way that people navigate and move through a room physically. I think that that's where like the kindness and nurturance and things like that come into it, where I feel like there's a certain level of confidence required for somebody to smile at someone where they're facing their energy outwards towards me. And it's more of an interaction than like, look at me, I'm the peacock. You must worship me and follow me around and give me all your attention. And it's not a reciprocal co-creation. And so I think that when somebody has that like really deep, I mean, it's also self-love, but that confidence that's like real and not for show that they have that deeper ability to be present and to be kind and to be emotionally generous. So on that note, then tell us, when do you feel sexiest? I have been exploring my deeper femininity. And so for me, when I have a nice hot bath and I'm listening to like my Canon's radio playlist or my Delirium radio playlist and just like luxuriously getting ready, I have my like favorite perfume on. I have lots and lots of time and spaciousness to prepare myself. And I feel dolled up and I feel like I look good. I definitely feel good. And I have that like yummy, soft, feminine essence about me. That's when I feel the sexiest. Amazing. Okay. Can you give us an example now of a moment where there was a sexy, explicitly clear yes that you either gave or received that led to something super duper hot? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. So this is going back to my Wisconsin days, but my first real girlfriend who was also a dominatrix called me up and said that the pony girl for this club performance had canceled last minute and asked if I would be willing to learn how to pull a pony cart and then do it on stage for a public performance. Wait, can you break it down for us a little bit? Wait, so you were dressed like a pony, like pony play pony girl? Yeah. So I had like this little like bit that had like the pony bit and then it had like a harness and it had the little pony ears and then I had like a different harness around my waist that had like this gorgeous luxurious pony tail piece yeah. that was like switchy when I walked and the dominant for the scene actually had like a, a wheelchair and so there were like these extender poles that like came from the arms of the wheelchair and so he was like so amazing in training me how to like interpret these different signals. So I knew like which way to go. And he would kind of like direct me with these like signals, which way to turn. And so we put on this like little pulling cart pony oh show for gosh. this crowd. <laughs> so that was like a same day experience. And did you have hooves? No, I just had like stripper heels on. <laughs> Whoa. Did you get to do it again after that? Or was it just that one experience? I played with him other times, but not as like pony play. Yeah, yeah. And as an exhibitionist, like there was this whole other element of like being witnessed by like this enthusiastic crowd in a club setting. And so that was kind of a dream come true for me. Wow. And it was like both intimate and super public, right? But I, I feel like I had like such a deeper connection with the Dom because of like the way that we were both witnessed in our like prowess yeah. in that moment. Gorgeous. Okay. 
When you tell a friend that you got laid last night, what do you usually mean? What counts as sex for you? And does it change in different contexts for you? Mm. Sex for me is like a physical manifestation of a soul connection or like a spiritual connection. Everything else to me is just fucking, which is also great. (laughs) Love. That's a great answer. Okay, Now, can you tell us, did you ever get a helpful sex education or an explicit health and safety talk or a lesson in consent growing up from an adult that you trusted? Definitely not anything around consent. Like, I feel like when I was growing up, especially in conservative Mormon Utah, it's almost like an anti-consent culture. It's overall kind of like a grooming culture. And so we don't really encourage people to feel empowered to consent or not consent. But as far as like sex ed goes, I was like a very curious and lusty child. And so I got the sex talk when I was five years old and my mom like broke it down for me. I can't remember if she drew pictures or just like laid out the like physiology of sex. And so I had like a very thorough understanding of like the physical aspects of sex. But I think even during my first sexual encounters, like I didn't really feel empowered to have full consent or enthusiastic consent there was like a lot of guilt and shame and doing things out of obligation for probably even like the first like two or three years of my active sexual life wow okay do you feel comfy giving us a couple of like concrete examples of the teachings you got that were kind of like groomy or not empowering yeah like honestly i've been out of the church for so long that all i can notice is what i see in like popular culture in Salt Lake City. But when I was in the culture, there was definitely this like very oppressive message that like women were supposed to be beautiful and fuckable and pretty girls didn't get married. And there's this whole like, I think that women go on like a a mission like two years later than the men do. But like, there was always this like undercurrent of messaging like from my father that like, if I didn't get married early enough, then I'd have to go on a mission. Like it was like a punishment or something or like only lesbians go on missions. And it was like only ugly girls go on missions. And it was always this like low threat of like, if I'm not good enough to be picked by some man, that this is going to be the negative outcome. Oh man. (laughs) So to me as an adult, I'm like, that is disgusting. And like, I don't think that he knew any better because he grew up in like an even more oppressive, even more conservative Mormon culture. And so I don't think that he ever like had the objectivity to think for himself, like, are these my values? Is this what I want to believe? I think that he just thought that it was the way things were. And Mm -hmm. he was trying to teach me how to be successful within that system. Right. I mean, trauma gets passed down generationally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So... This is jumping ahead a little bit, but did you know that you were queer at that point? Like getting those messages about lesbians? Okay. Okay. No. And maybe it was just nurture versus nature at that time. Like I thought I was pretty heterosexual until I was about 14, I think. Okay. Going back to sex ed a little bit. What, if anything, happens to your shame a meter when it's time to have a health and safety conversation? And how do you usually initiate the conversations with your partner or partners about safer sex? Oh, um, I want to die every single time. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true both for like work and play, like, like professionally, is that still true or is it different? Uh, Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. Honestly, like it makes my guts turn and Mm. I feel like they're on fire. And I do it anyway, because especially in real life, knowing my partner's history makes me feel safe. In a work context, I feel like with the testing that I go through and also the protocols that are in place at the brothel that I work for, I don't feel like it's as necessary to have such an in-depth like conversation around it. If they bring it up, I will definitely get into that with them and the specifics, but I feel like it's less necessary that statistically like any risks that are still remaining in that environment are risks that I would have in my real life anyway. And so I feel like the people that I interact with at work are so intimidated and frightened anyway that (laughs) I don't want to add any more fear and like intimidation to that. Like, I don't want to plant the seed that like, oh, statistically, there's a two or three percent chance that blah, 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 blah could happen. Like, maybe we should like wait until you come in with a full body rubber suit that covers every square (laughs) inch of skin before we proceed. I have this idea of like, there's got to be a way in our near future where you can show up at the door do a urine sample, prick your finger. And I have dreams having this both at a play space, both at like a sex ed museum that's like a great second date destination. Anyway, and it'd be cool if that was at brothels too. So I've interviewed one courtesan so far, but can you just tell us the practices that are in place and like kind of remind it, like what is normal? You said you get tested and then what are the practices that are kind of like expected there? Okay, so before I even get to interact with public facing clients and things like that, I do a vaginal swab and a blood test that tests for chlamydia, syphilis, HIV, and gonorrhea. So once I do interact with a client, once we negotiate our party, then I do what's called a dick check or a DC, where I visually inspect and physically inspect their penis, their foreskin, if they have one and their balls and the skin around the area for any lesions, cuts, bumps, any kind of unusual discolored discharge, things like that. And so that's to make sure that there are like no visual signs of something unhealthy that would put me at risk. Okay. Do you only work with dudes? I mean, statistically, I'm more likely to interact with men, but I've also worked with some couples. I would love to just like worship and play with and interact with or be worshipped by a gorgeous woman. Okay. Do you inspect those too? Or is it like yeah. ladies? Are- oh, oh okay. yeah. Yeah. It's not quite as intrusive. Like I'm not going to like penetrate a woman during a pussy check, but I do kind of like check all the folds kind of like I would like under the balls of a man to make sure that there aren't like any hidden things that are going to be unexpected later on in the session. A lot of times I have them sit down too, because I mean, it's kind of invasive. So, and I'm always just like, hee hee, I could show you mine if you want to. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I still get like, so schoolgirl crushy when I play with women. <laughs> cool. So in your regular life, are you like, that sounds like you actually, even if it makes you uncomfortable, sounds like you have a sex ed superpower or like a health and safety superpower. Do you usually find yourself initiating in your personal life or do you tend to attract partners that can start those combos? I mean, it's a huge turn on when the other partner has protection and they're proactive about talking about it. That's so hot for me because I feel like it creates this like safe container that I can just relax within. Unfortunately, that's very uncommon. I'm usually the first person to bring it up. A lot of times that gives me the impression that like I'm the only one who cares about it, but like this does kind of give away my age, but I was alive kind of in like the tail end of the HIV AIDS pandemic. And so 
even when I was a teenager and sexually active, I was very afraid of being exposed to HIV. And there wasn't really like a good treatment or cure at the time. And so I knew people who knew people who literally died. And so I feel like I still carry that really heavy weight of the fear of HIV. I've always taken it very seriously. And I've never gotten to the point where I was like, "Ah, I'm not really worried about it. Like, and even at this point where like pre-cum or like genital exposure is like really intimidating to me, unless I know like a lot about someone's sexual history. And so I think that that's gotten a little bit worse since I've been like working in full service in the sex industry where I'm just like, ah, (laughs) like unless you still have your underwear on or unless you already have a condom on, like it's harder for me to maintain the fantasy if their level of awareness doesn't match my own. I feel that. I feel that so hard. I don't, I'm like, oh, I mean, yeah, a bear cock is hot, but like we haven't talked and I know that you're not putting it in. That's not my concern. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. All right. Can you take us through your sexual timeline now, starting at the very beginning and just what are the milestones that feel important for us to learn about Natasha Rose's sex stories? We've already heard that you were a lusty young child. What was it <laughs> that inspired your mother to give you the talk when you were five years old? Honestly, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that I must have asked. She's probably asexual, and I don't think that she self-identifies that way, but that's how I would probably identify her. I think that she is a fabulous mother, and so I'm really grateful that she did have enough of a sex life to have me and my awesome siblings, but I don't think that she's like a very like sexually expressive person. So I don't think that she would just offer that information without me kind of pushing her for it at some level. What's the first thing you remember sex wise? Like when did you become aware of it or any curiosities that, you know, even if you were too young to have identified it as sexy, like what do you remember earliest? So having grown up in such a stifled sexual culture, I didn't know anything about sex until I was already having sex. So it's kind of embarrassing. And I think it's also hilarious because as a child, like I was very like romantic, I would say. And like looking back, I would identify it as like horny, but like I always had boyfriends. I always had crushes. When I started going to like dances in like junior high and things like that like I loved physical contact and I loved being touched by boys and I loved feeling their heart on in their pants when it was like pressed up against me and so I didn't know what to do with that like when I would fantasize in my mind like I would fantasize about kissing and making out and like having that physical contact and it was kind of like full body dry humping or like a sensual cuddling or something like that but then it it would be like a made-for-tv movie where like when we went to make love, it would like fade away because I didn't know what that looked like because I didn't have any exposure to really anything until I was probably about 10 or 12 or something like that. My neighbor's dad had like a subscription to like Frederick's of Hollywood catalogs. And so we would steal those. And that kind of like opened my mind to like sexuality at one level, but I still didn't know. Like our Barbie dolls would like wear hair ties as outfits because of that but like (laughs) (laughs) and also where I got my first corset and thigh highs and like lacy thong what about your own body when did you like was that after having sex or was that pre-dances did you know what a hard-on was when you were getting danced on Mm, yeah but only like in a physiological sense like 
oh, that's a penis. And when it gets engorged with blood, then it gets erect. Okay, but your own body, when did you start to like feel her? Okay, there was so much shame around masturbation. And there still is. Like, I try not to give the Mormon religion like any of my energy or power. But I am pretty sure that there's still so anti-masturbation that there's this like prevalent belief that like it's almost better to like kill yourself than it is to masturbate in the church like it's so fucking toxic like that's part of the reason that i'm just like i love my family members that are still involved with the church but i don't support their involvement in it and it's like a huge gap between us because i just can't really support anyone believing in something that like makes gay children and like pro-sex or sex-curious children hate themselves that much. It, like, really fucking hurts. I'm like, I'm fine with all religions, the love parts. Any part of a religion that's a hate part, including self-hate, I don't think a god has hate, personally. Yeah, agreed. And I don't want to worship one that does, so it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. But, yeah, like, it didn't really even occur to me to self-pleasure. Or if it did, like, it was always kind of framed in like pleasing my partner. Like when I was trying to think of my sexual history, I was like, maybe I masturbated for boyfriends in my late teens or something like that. But it was always like performative for someone else's pleasure. It wasn't like an act of like getting to know my own body and exploring my own pleasure. It was like to please or entice or turn on somebody else. Okay. So I was like probably 22 before I ever masturbated. And it was like around the same time that I got my first sex toys. So that's kind of like late blooming, but there was like so much of my sexual history where it was to please and impress and entice other people. Mm. Okay. So jumping back and filling in some gaps, I would love to hear what formative partner experiences feel important to you. And I would love to hear you said you were 14 ish, maybe when you realized that you were attracted not to just penis owners. Yes. Tell us a little bit more wherever you want to start from. So I had this cute, sweet group of little weirdos as friends when I was 14. They were goth kids and skaters. And there was this one girl who was like, she had like a really witty way of saying it. I can't think of her exact phrasing right now, but she was just like basically asking if I was into girls. And even though she wasn't my type, like she was a little bit more butch. I was like a little bit scared, but like her desire like really turned me on. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening? And I was like, yeah, I do like girls. I feel like she felt my hesitation as well as my titillation. And so she never pursued it, but it just like awakened this awareness within me that I was like, oh, I don't think I even considered that as an option before. And so once I even just like started exploring that in like a fantasy context, It was really hot. And I was just like, oh, I guess I'm bisexual. And this was like before pansexual was really an identity. And so at that time, I was afraid of that desire. Like the first girl that I ever took out on a date, we almost got beat up outside of a diner because (gasps) these guys saw us kissing and like this guy got all up in our face and we're like, are you dykes? And it was like (laughs) actually really fucking scary. So it was like, almost immediate karmic retribution it really planted this idea that like being out wasn't safe in public and so it took even a couple more years after that before I felt safe enough to have an actual girlfriend and so 
I think also being outside of Utah and being in a different environment where I wasn't worried about how it affected my family really helped me feel safe to explore that. And then also like my first girlfriend was just so confident and badass and sexy that it was just easy to get like sucked into her energy and to like feel the spaciousness of her own freedom. Wow. Are there any partners that feel important to talk about before we dive into that relationship? I mean, there was one boyfriend. He was like a computer nerd who gave me my first like partnered orgasm or like my first real orgasm. (laughs) So (laughs) that feels important just to touch on. Yeah, yeah. And that was until I was like 17. So I was having sex for like a full three years before I ever came. With different partners or was he your partner for those three years? No, he was probably like my third or fourth partner. So my first couple of partners were young like I was. And so didn't really know what they were doing. Did you have a sense at the time that like it's not happening or it should be more pleasurable? Or were you just like, I guess that's what it is? Like, what do you remember? It goes back to that whole performative aspect. Like I knew that I was supposed to be orgasming and I knew that I was supposed to be experiencing pleasure, but a lot of it was faked. I was kind of emulating what I saw in TV and in movies for the benefit of my partner's ego, basically. Wow. Okay. So we had an orgasm with nerdy computer boy. Anything else to say about that relationship before we get to your first girlfriend? Just that he kind of broke my heart. Like he he said that I was like out of his league and that eventually I was going to leave him. So he broke up with me. Oh. Yeah. What? Yeah. It really hurt my feelings. Yeah. And I think that it was around that time that I decided that it wasn't safe to combine sexual pleasure with emotional intimacy. So there was like a, a wild stretch probably between that time until I met my dominatrix girlfriend that like I was pretty dissociated and disconnected from my pleasure. Like I didn't want to come because I didn't want to care about someone enough Mm. to like allow them to hurt me. So I was just going through like a sexual checklist. Like I wanted to fuck all these DJs and I wanted to fuck musicians. (laughs) So this gets into your like star fucky kink. Like do you identify it as a kink like or a star fucker? But like it was the the roots of it for sure. Yeah. I mean it wasn't so much about using sex to climb the social ladder. It was just like I assumed that these people who were powerful and had a lot of social clout would be sexually talented which I mean for the most part wasn't necessarily true but like there was like this really hot bartender who like had a sexy car and like bought me my first beer in a bar that I snuck into with him when I was like 18. He was the first person I ever had anal with. Wow. Okay there was a full wild summer when I was 17 it was like the year before my senior year of high school. I was changing schools I was going to go to a performing arts high school and so I kind of was just doing whatever I wanted to try to get it out of my system before I like moved to a small town and so that was like the first time I ever had a vibrator used on me it was the first time I ever had sex while blindfolded I think it was my first time that I ever got tied up by the same guy who popped my anal cherry oh, wow. and it was just like a really fun free like I used to think that that was my sexual prime and that I had peaked at 17 okay. Okay. <laughs> because I had so many wild experiences I don't know why I didn't really consider it to be when I was like 22 to 20 which is when I was living in Wisconsin and like Mm. going through all that. Was your dominatrix girlfriend the same like as your first girlfriend or were they different Mm -hmm. people? Okay. Yeah. So you had this wild time. You went to a performing arts school. I feel like people were probably fucking there a lot. There were only like a handful of senior boys. So I hooked up with a junior and he like told everybody. Oh. And so I feel like not that I was tainted at the school necessarily. I think if anything, it like made me more 
fuckable. <laughs> like, I'd be like, oh, she's not an ice cream she puts out. It really made me hesitate to fuck any more juniors. So I messed around with some people, did some like touching and making out and heavy petting and stuff like that. But I never fucked anybody else from that school. And I was really lonely that year too. Like I took a break from drinking because to be on the drama team, you had to be like alcohol free, allegedly. (laughs) Like a lot of the kids weren't, but like I took it very seriously. I was like, I am a winner and I will do what it takes and I'm on the team. And so I like was like sober. So I would go on dates with my mom because I was just like so lonely that year. And I was like so hungry for adult connection. And it was a college town, but it's like a a party college. So I didn't even like want to fuck the college boys because I was just like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's no culture here. So Mm. when I'd go back to Salt Lake City, I would like have a lot of fun. Were you still Mormon then? Or when did you become an ex-Mormon officially? If there's an officialness to it. Okay, so this is super embarrassing to admit but I am still on like the official roster for the Mormon church there's like a whole process where I could get removed from the records from what I've heard it oftentimes triggers like missionaries coming to your house Uh, and like I think that sounds like work and giving them your energy yeah exactly or like doing like an exit interview with a bishop so at some point I'm going to do it because I'm like it's fucked up that like they're counting me as one of them When they're like actively trying to silence me and strip me of my human rights. So I think when I am ready, all it will take is for me to sit down with somebody and be like, I'm a a queer sex worker (laughs) and you are against everything that I believe in. And we totally disagree about like our concept of God and like what he does and does not approve of. So I don't see any way for us to like be compatible. Please take me off the list or I will like cause a ruckus and okay. you don't want that because <laughs> it will involve stripper heels and me marching around with a big fucking picket sign. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when in your heart were you like not Mormon? When I was 13 years old. Okay. Like the concept that God would like put us on this planet and like a tiny fraction, I think it's like 13% of the population or something like that was Mormon at the time. I don't know for sure, but yeah. like the fact that like everyone else was going to hell just because they didn't get introduced to this like really tiny specific idea of what God approved of didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want a God that's like sending over 70% of the population to hell. Like it didn't make sense to me. And I just, just said that that didn't work for me anymore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you get to Wisconsin? How did you meet the girlfriend? Like, it's a big deal to leave a town, a community. Like, you went halfway across the country. Like, what happened next and how did it affect your sex life? Okay. So the abbreviated version is I went to a college that has, like, a brilliant Shakespearean festival. And I only made it through, like, one semester of college and I had a full ride scholarship. I really, really fucked it up. I didn't really attend classes because at that point I didn't have any like carrot dangling to keep me from drinking. And I was like a really active alcoholic and I didn't have any parental observation. Like my mom had moved to Wisconsin and joined a cult. My dad was in Salt Lake City. And so I did whatever the fuck I wanted. And I was wild. I had no discipline. And I don't think I even got grades in more than one class. I think there was like only like one costuming class that I attended enough to even receive a grade in. So I just got like incompletes other than that. So, I mean, I learned a lot socially. Like I had some really amazing gay friends that like I would party with and I learned a lot more about the gay culture and I kind of got included into that. But other than that, like I felt ostracized. Like I was too weird for most of the boys to want to sleep with. Mm. (laughs) It was like, 
a really dark time for me. So I dropped out of school after one semester, moved back home to Salt Lake City, and then I got into meth and alcohol. And I was like, basically like a homeless gutter punk junkie. I didn't have a home. I would rob people. I would couch surf from friend group to friend group. But like my boyfriend at the time and like his little brother, like we would like rob the people that we were staying with and then we couldn't go back. At the time it was liberating though, because I had never had freedom. Like at one point we were living with my boyfriend's business partner and I was like eating cold pizza at like 3am watching the Simpsons. And I was like, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. This is amazing. (laughs) So I was like going from this like naive Mormon girl to like the far extreme. It it felt so good. And I, I feel like I really had to get that out of my system. But after doing meth for almost two years, like I was literally losing my fucking mind. Like I would hear voices. I was extremely paranoid. I thought that all of my friends were trying to kill me. Oh, wow. It was a really scary time because it was hard for me to function without being high. But I was like so paranoid and full of fear when I was high. Like I I really thought that I was probably going to either die or get locked up for being crazy. So that's why I moved to Wisconsin was because my mom lived out there. (laughs) She was like, there are all these international students who come in and work these summer jobs. It's really easy to like get hired for a job for the season. Just come out here and start over. And so that's what I did. So I didn't know any drug dealers. I didn't know any junkies. And I had this fresh start, which for me actually worked. You just quit cold turkey? Yeah. And I decided to quit smoking at the same time, too. (laughs) Holy shit. Wow, that's really powerful. And it took, like, removing all the resources and temptation. Yeah. But luckily, at that time, like, meth wasn't really a big deal in Wisconsin at the time. It was more like cocaine and crack. So I got sober through the 12-step program. Like, I did have a lot of community support. Great. So it's not like I just, like, magically did it on my own. I really do think that there was, like, a miraculous surrender to a higher power and, like, some kind of cosmic intervention that, like, gave me the strength and the willpower to just, like, get on that bus and put myself in this, like, situation where, like, I really didn't have any other choice other than to start over again. Wow. Okay, so how did we then get to dominatrix, girlfriend, foot worship, bond? Like, we heard a little bit about bondage, but, like, and all this beautiful play, like, what were the next steps? So this is kind of a side note, but I I joined my mom's cult. (laughs) I, like, kind of considered it to be, like, cheap rehab because, like, a lot of the room and board was, like, community service. So I was, like, surrounded by these, like, drug-free, alcohol-free vegetarians who would, like, do these, like, morning dance parties and so I was just like fuck yeah like ecstatic dance or like what it's hard to describe like they called it like going to light so my current interpretation would be like inducing kundalini energy Mm -hmm. in your body the way that they would express it reminds me of people in those like christian churches where they like flop around on the floor and they like wave their hands in the air and they're like ah speaking in tongues and stuff like that there was a lot of stuff like that also happening during the dance this is like kind of a tangent so i've been wiggling every day since my 30th birthday just like like literally just like full body wiggling eventually i'll make a wiggle movie it's about full love and acceptance of the physical body and because of that people send me all kinds of like wiggly wiggle related articles so like alan watts has a thing on wiggling wiggling's reference in songs at various points throughout history there were like these hysterical like dance movements where people would just be like wiggling like in community so it sounds like it's like also 
that like something with our nervous systems likes to like ecstatically wiggly crazily move and dance okay so did you do that yes okay so you had room and board you had all these things were you allowed to have sex at the cult or was it like a yes yes it was pretty i don't know a better term than incestual like everyone had fucked everyone else it was like a pretty okay. tight-knit community so if you were like an adult there were only so many partners to choose from so like my AA sponsor had already fucked my boyfriend and then like when he got me pregnant he proposed to me so like (laughs) yeah just to clarify it wasn't literal incest like family members no 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 no. of course there are always problems in cults and when there's like a hierarchy of power but I wouldn't necessarily say that there was like sex abuse happening there were, were other forms of like financial abuse and things like that that came to light later on but I don't feel like I was personally damaged by the cult. I think at one point, like the time schedule, like we would meet at like 8 a.m. and then like do like a listening to our leader session. And then like we'd do our like dance party thing and then have lunch afterwards. So at one point I was like, I'm 22 years old. Like, I don't want to be getting out of bed and being somewhere at 8 fucking a.m. And then <laughs> like working full time so that I can like be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So that's when I started dabbling. I would go to like the capital city and go to these like clubs and things like that and then I found out that there was like a BDSM party and it was like for ticket holders only so you had to get a ticket ahead of time and I wasn't able to do that for some reason so I just like I had my mom help me (laughs) amazing I made this outfit out of electrical tape so I had her like help me put like make sure it was symmetrical in the back but it was like crisscrosses of electrical tape and then I had like X's over my nipples and I just had these like tiny little booty shorts and like thigh highs and then these like pretty woman level of like strange kind of like not fitted thigh high boots that I bought at the local sex shop it was like totally 80s hooker boots yeah and so I wore the like hooker boots and like some thigh highs and like a garter belt and then like this like top made only of like electrical tape that my mom helped me adhere (laughs) before I went to the sex party. Wow. Was that your first sex party? Did you already know about kink? It sounds like, well, yeah, I guess you got tied up before. When I lived with my fiance, he had internet and that was like the first time I ever had private internet. Like before that, I'd only ever had access to internet at like a library or something like that. So I'm not going to be like, yeah, yeah. BDSM kink stories. But like, since I finally had privacy to explore that, he actually ended up getting kicked out of the country because he was Australian. And so when he was gone, I was like holding down the fort and paying rent in his apartment and things like that. So I had all the time in the world to like read these naughty erotic stories about like forced bondage and servitude and like these like maids in corsets and tight bondage and walking around in these tiny restrictive high heels and like all this stuff. And it was really, really hot. And I started exploring self bondage at that time. So I was doing a lot of that until he got back. And then we explored like some public role play and stuff like that. Like I would dress like a little schoolgirl, and he would be my teacher and we'd be like meeting outside of school at a restaurant, things like that. So (laughs) we're kind of dabbling in like light BDSM and things like that. And so I think it was while he was out of the country is when I went to the public slash private invite only ticket holder only BDSM party. And that's where I met my first girlfriend. She was like one of the dominatrixes who was hostessing this party. And so I like showed up. I didn't have a ticket. There was this like creepy guy in the parking lot with like a paddle strapped to his belt. And I was just like, oh, 
I just showed up. I don't have a ticket. Do you know how this works? And he was like, I have an extra ticket. And I like insisted on paying for the ticket because I didn't want to like hang out with this guy for yeah. the rest of the night. Yeah. I was just like, oh, you have an extra ticket and your partner couldn't come. I need a ticket. How convenient. And so I actually got into this party and ended up playing with my dominatrix girlfriend. She had me like in this like cage and I think I had wrist restraints on and she was like doing some light cropping and things like that. And it was just like super, super fun. And we exchanged phone numbers and she invited me to her birthday party like a month later, wow. <laughs> which was like a big sex hot tub party. The attendees were on mushrooms. Oh, wow. I gave like two different guys hand jobs in the hot tub. And like later I would become friends with all of these people, but like I never met any of them before. And so like I didn't even know that she had a boyfriend. I thought that he was like her gay submissive. And okay. so <laughs> I was like basically like fisting her for the first time when she was like, oh, no, this is my partner. And I was like, oh, you were fisting her. Yeah. Whoa, you know how to fist. Yes. Well, she taught me how to. Like, she had three children, so it was, like, super easy. Okay. And that was, like, what got her off. And so, okay. like, she kind of taught me how to pleasure her the most deeply. And so that, that was kind of, like, our little, like, routine, you know? And, like, her boyfriend ended up, like, sticking his finger in my butt, like, while I was fisting her. I'm like, I guess it's the least I can do to let your <laughs> boyfriend finger my butthole wow. while I'm fisting his girlfriend in a room full of people. <laughs> Okay. It sounds like there was not necessarily like explicit consent, but in the like looking back, it was like part of your whole, yes. like now polycule. Was this your first exposure to poly? Or I guess the cult sounds kind of. No, I didn't dabble in poly while I was in the cult. Like I was pretty, I mean, I think it hurt my fiance's feelings. Like he kind of like did this weird ritual where he like gave me away to my girlfriend and her boyfriend. Okay. He's like, oh, she's yours now. Like passing oh. the torch. And I was just like, um, I'm not really yours to give anymore. Right, but, right. Yeah. But I, I had kind of outgrown the small town that the cult was in. And I just like really needed to explore my sexuality. And I was like a young adult at that point. Like I hadn't really experienced anything outside of like homeless drug adventures. I mean, I did like go cross country and do the whole like punk rock Jack Kerouac thing. Like it was an adventure. And it gave me like access to a level of strength that I didn't know that I contained before when I was just like a gothic club kid. And so yeah. I know without a shadow of a doubt at this point that I'm a survivor because I got through that. I reclaimed my sanity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still have most of my teeth <laughs> yeah. and I paid to replace the ones that I lost. And I know where my edges are now, you know, like I explored to the very edge. I went over the edge and now I know where the edge is. You, you know? really like stretched <laughs> out life and you're like, all right, here I am. Yeah. But then like the way that I, I wanted to do it at that point was to explore my sexuality. And that's when I became a stripper was when I was living in Wisconsin and everything was just super fun. Like I had more money than I've ever had. I had more freedom than I had ever had. And so that was kind of when I became like an actual adult and I became like an empowered human, I think like that was when I intentionally started doing the things that I wanted to do and creating the life that I wanted. So what did you learn about yourself when you started stripping? Like how did it affect your sexuality? And then like, how did we get from there to like goddess intimacy coach? <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be a stripper. I think like my high school best friend and I would like drive by the strip club and be like, Oh, I got to pick up my paycheck. <laughs> Yeah. So like we always like fantasized about it, but I think like all of my adult partners until that point 
had been so insecure that they didn't want me to be a stripper. Mm-hmm. And so both my girlfriend and then this guy that I started dating at that time, which it really was like my first exploration of actual poly. He had done some like renovations for the local strip club. So he like knew the owner's son and he was like, we should go check it out sometime. Yeah. And so like we went to the strip club and like he introduced me to the owner's son and his girlfriend who was a dancer there. And it was like really fucking cool. Like I'd never been into a strip club before. And so they told me when the amateur night was. So I showed up for amateur night. And so my boyfriend and my girlfriend and my girlfriend's boyfriend all came to support me. And it was just like so much fun. I actually forgot to take my top off during my like audition (gasps) song. And so the DJ was like, hey, I'm going to give you another song. Take your top off. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was just like (laughs) covered in money because it was like the kind of club where you can like directly receive tips in your outfit from the patrons. And so I just had like money in my thigh highs and my bra and my bottoms and just like everywhere. And I was just like, this is the life I was meant to live. And I was just like so high on the experience. It was like totally euphoric and like the money was great. I think I made like $80 in like two or three songs. And I was just like, I was meant to do this. (laughs) Was that where you discovered your exhibitionism streak? Were you already aware of it at that point? Oh, I was definitely aware of it. It was just like, a bigger, more titillating outlet for it. What does exhibitionism feel like to you? Because people reflect to me. I posted like nudes on OnlyFans, but I was like, no, I'm being like, I post fine art nudes and I'm a naked lady with a shaved head. So isn't it funny? And I'm with tractors. Don't you get the joke? And nobody does. And so I don't identify as an exhibitionist, but I'm trying to like embrace the fun of it. So like, what does it feel like to you? Did you ever watch the show Lost Girl? It was about like a, a succubus who was also like a private investigator. No, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, there's this like very visual effect where she's like breathing in people's like sexual essence or something, so to speak. That's what it feels like to me. Like I feel like when I receive someone's attention in that way, especially if it's like hot, hot, intense sexual attention I like literally like breathe it in and feed off of it like a succubus Mm. and it sustains me in this like very electric way that's what it feels like but don't succubi have like kind of an evil connotation are you saying you feel evil or does this go with your goth thing and I'm being a little bit literal brained here it's both like on like a love and light spiritual level it's like the sustenance that I require to thrive Right. So if I go too long without receiving that kind of desire and that kind of attention, then I feel like I kind of like wilt at a certain level. Oh my God. That's how you mean like sex wise, right? Like just or being looked at specifically as an exhibitionist. Both, honestly. I really, I connect with that. I get that. Yeah. Like at one level, I need to be fucked regularly, even if it's just by myself. And on another level, like if I don't have that feedback loop, it's kind of like any entertainer. Mm -hmm. Like we crave that attention and that like applause and that external validation where it's like I see you and I celebrate you and you are successful you know it's kind of like that but like there's also like a sexual element included in that attention but then like I think I'm at like the juiciest most integrated place that I've ever been in my whole life with integrating my light and my darkness so I'm not trying to separate myself from my darkness so there is like a predatory chase huntress kind of energy with the succubus like feeding of receiving like the voyeuristic attention where I do thrive as an exhibitionist where I am 
taking that energy from people. Yeah. But also, like, I'm a submissive, and I've also received messages from dudes who are submissives, not yet ladies, and they're like, use me, take me, I want, and I understand, like, wanting to be taken and wanting to have someone yes. hunt and capture me or whatever. Exactly, yeah, so going back to, like, the love and light and consent, like, everybody is sovereign level, like, yeah, I provide a service for the people who want to be chased and who want to be preyed upon and devoured. So it is consensual still, but I do want to embrace the darkness of it where there is a hunger inside me and there is something that wants to bite into someone and to devour them. Have you done vampire play? Oh, yes, I have. Yes, yes. (laughs) I had a really, really, really fun regular when I was stripping. We did like a lot of role play specifically. Like we did vampire role play. He had me dress up as a nun and punish him because he was like a Catholic schoolboy <laughs> and he had like a total nun fetish. Did you use a ruler? Yeah. And I did like spank him with my bare hands as well. You've done so much fun role play. Was like puppy, kitty, and pony. Like I know that we heard the pony story. Was there more to that? Were those parts of your like professional or has that also been in your personal? Like I haven't had any paid pony play yet. Okay. And I haven't actually received puppy and kitty play the way that I would love to. Tell us how you would love to receive it. Let's call it in. I'm just like a horny little kitty. Like, this is very taboo. We're embracing the darkness here. We are embracing. We're going into the darkness fully now. I'm also trying to understand taboo still, so you're helping me learn. Yeah, especially with like little play, but also kind of like in the like animal play world that there's like a line that a lot of people don't want to cross where it goes from like playful to sexual. But I'm like the kind of like kitty or puppy that wants to get fucked by their owner. Yeah, I would be too. Just to be clear, I have ears and a tail that I have not yet used with a partner. And I definitely want to get fucked for sure. Yeah, like I think that if I'm a little kitty that's in heat, then the kindest, most, like, generous thing that you could possibly do is to fuck me. Yeah, read, read the <laughs> fuck out of me, please. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that you get it. So, <laughs> And that's why we just need to talk with our partners ahead of time to make sure we're on the same page. I just read Tristan Taramino's Ultimate Guide to Kink, and it basically just outlines, like, here's what it is for some people. Here's what it is for other people. And I personally think that, like, judgment just because we have a differing desire is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like... You don't need to play together, but why waste energy judging each other if it's different? Yeah. So, okay. So, so we're here embracing that you're a horny little kitten that wants <laughs> yes. to get fucked. Are you the type of kitten that would like lick milk or like yes. only if it comes out of a tit or like, would it be in a bowl? In my previous iteration of an OnlyFans model, I, I did like a really hot kitty set. So many good like ass shots of me like licking milk out of a little bowl. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, since we're talking taboos, like, I totally have, like, a licking peanut butter off genitals puppy fantasy as well. You haven't done it yet? No. Shit, I want to do that. I'm like, I don't even care which end of it I'm on. I want peanut butter and almond butter. All the nut butter. Nut butter is off of nuts. Yes. Actual nut butter. Actual nut. nut Literal nut nut butter. butter. (laughs) But I have had a lot of really cute, like, kind of wholesome experiences with, like, playing with people who are puppies because especially in the Salt Lake City gay scene there's so many sweet little puppy boys so would you want to be any other kind of animal for example like a dragon or a unicorn or lion or I don't know I'm just brainstorming animals or horse oh you've been a pony is pony different from horsey for you and is pony related to my little pony for you wow okay that's a lot of questions um (laughs) that is one of my (laughs) that's one of my best worst qualities yes no I love costuming like I have like a total hard-on for 
both cosplay, but also just like costuming and like fashion expression in a very creative out of the box kind of way in general. So Mm. I've done like several unicorn costumes for Halloween and different parties and things like that. So I actually have done both unicorn and my little pony pony stuff. But it wasn't really in a sexual context. It was more in just like an expressive, creative costume context. But I would love to like dress up as a My Little Pony and have someone brush my hair. Like that would be so amazing. Yeah. And I don't know what horsey play is separate from pony play. Do you care to elaborate? My brain might have made it up, but. It just sounds like more grown up to me. I don't know. Like I'm imagining like a stallion. I don't know. Or like a wild mare. I I don't know. I think of ponies as sweeter and I I associate ponies with fair rides and like kind of the niceness. But I don't know if there's actually a difference. This is just my brain making up. And I just said lion because you look like a lion to me. Like a beautiful lioness. Like I could see you with. Although actually now that I say that out loud, I imagined you with a mane. So I guess I imagined you as a man lion. (laughs) That's okay. That's how I pictured myself when you said that, too. Oh, I was cool. Like, okay, we're on the same page. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. What about a dragon? I feel like you could be a dragon, but does it appeal to you? They're kind of scaly and hard. I don't relate to that archetype. Like, okay. I've had really powerful partners that, like, a dragon was kind of, like, their icon. And then that really fun regular from my strip club. One time I, like, held him down and restrained him while he, like, dragoned out and, like, tried to bite me on all this stuff. Ooh. So. Maybe I'm more of like a dragon tamer than like okay. a, oh, a dragon yes. itself. Well, I guess I'm a dragon fucker too. Like this isn't necessarily <laughs> like a <laughs> like a deep sex story, but I, I did this journey with a Tantra like collective. And part of the visualization when I like met this like I think it was like my inner masculine divine, but he was a dragon and he <gasps> was like coiled around this like giant pile of coins and golden objects and stuff like that it does make me realize that like i i am a dragon tamer but i'm also a dragon fucker because like our souls intertwined and like we became a sword which is like a really powerful tantric visualization or like a tantric icon i guess you could say so i am the sword but i'm not necessarily the dragon but the dragon is like the yang to my yin or something like that you know cool okay you had this wild time in your 20s and like now here you are like just give us a little bit of the like sexy stripper what was that like how did you get into courtesaning like tell us a little bit about the next milestones that feel relevant sure oddly enough I don't feel like I really had a lot of sexual evolution while I was a stripper like I was a stripper for 20 years and so I squeezed all of the juice out of that that was available to me for the most part I bet you're so good I'm good I like one of my like It's not really a bucket list thing, but like it's something that I feel like is inevitable once my body's in the right shape to like record like a series where I teach stripper floor work because there are so many people who like teach stripper pole dancing, but not like the floor work aspect. And honestly, I injured my shoulder a couple of years ago, so I don't really do anything on the pole anymore besides like kind of like shake my butt and use it as like a prop, you know, like, oh, look at this phallic object. (laughs) (laughs) But I really did it. To the fullest. And so even though I feel like I'm sexier than I've ever been in my whole life, the laws in Utah are very stifling with what you can and cannot do. And I felt like I wanted to help people in a, a way that I was not legally able to help them. And so I saw this need where people need like a sexual release, where they need to like have that skin to skin contact that when your genitals are covered and there is no sexual contact, 
it makes people feel really deeply rejected. Mm. So having done both now, like I do think that there is a deep healing within the safe container where you know for a fact that like no fluids are going to be exchanged unless you come in your pants and you're not like actually cheating depending on your definition within your relationship. Yeah. Is it um, stripper wise or quarter yeah, wise? Stripper okay, wise. Okay, okay. Yeah, stripper wise. So I think that there is like something very sacred in that safe container. But for me, like, I think that there was like a little bit of residual shame with that, where it was just like, well, I am willing to fuck for money. Mm. I am willing to go to those deep depths and I am willing to hold like an even deeper container for people that want to be seen in that deeper vulnerability where you're like literally letting someone into your body or you're literally putting yourself into someone else's body. There's like a deeper level of vulnerability and trust. And I really do feel like I have the ability and the strength to hold that container in an informed way, in a consensual way, and in like a deeply service oriented way. Yeah. And I just felt the call. Like I feel like I was trying to justify it through spirituality. Like I was researching all these different programs. I don't know if the history, the accounts have been destroyed. I don't know how trustworthy all these like channeled modern oracle accounts of what history was like. I got to a point where I'm like, I don't need permission from history. I don't need permission from religion or spirituality. I can create the sacred prostitute archetype and container that I want to see in the world. And maybe I am the pioneer that has to create the way forward. And then I have to bring everyone else with me. But I couldn't find a mentor and I couldn't find a teacher and I couldn't find a program that was like, this is how you are a deeply spiritual, deeply grounded, trauma-informed prostitute. And I know that women are doing it. It's just that with the FOSTA-SESTA bullshit that's going on, it's like, almost impossible to legally teach other women how to do this. And maybe that's why I couldn't find it because it's hard for me to believe that it doesn't exist. Relatable. I mean, (laughs) even in just my work as a sex podcaster, I have been interviewing lawyers in the last week and I have a grand vision of an art space that turns into a play space. And maybe we have trained performers and professionals who then can help get the party started. Well, apparently that part is illegal. You can have erotic performers and there's so much red tape and it's not even clear because the lawyers are like, well, it's about making yourself less of a target. I mean, even just trying to Google for business support for kink positive, neurodivergent, sex positive artists, I'm having a tough time finding the support I actually need. So I can only imagine... Yeah, trying to find your people. Okay, so how did you find the place that you worked? Are you comfortable saying where it is? Like, what's it been like? And how has it affected your personal sex life? To whatever degree you feel comfy. Yes, and I apologize if I cry because it's, like, so beautiful and tender to me that, like, I found a safe, legal outlet for this deep desire. So I work at Sherry's Ranch, which is a brothel in Pahrump, Nevada. It's about an hour outside of Las Vegas. And I've never been to any other brothels. Like, I'm this weirdo that, like, I choose what I'm doing and I just fucking go for it. Like, I never went to strip clubs before I became a stripper. I never went to brothels before I became a hooker. How did you pick it? Okay, so just a little bit of a rewind. Like, there's a sex worker who was an OnlyFans mentor of mine who came out as a courtesan. And I was just like, wow, this woman is, like, so herself like she 
doesn't apologize for her age. She doesn't apologize for anything. And so I was so inspired that I was like, if this woman is so loudly and proudly herself and getting paid to fuck, I could do it. Like I I used to joke and this is a little self-depreciating, but I'm like, oh, when I get too old to dance, then I'll just go be a hooker in Nevada. And so it was like kind of like one of those things in like my subconscious where I kind of pretended like it was a joke, but I always intended to do it. And so it kind of like moved up the timeline. Like, I don't feel like I was like necessarily 100% ready to go into full service, but there is like so much pressure in my current culture where like a lot of the girls that I knew were like offering full service in a way that didn't feel safe to me. And I was like really worried for them. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so like for me, I was just like, why would you fuck people in a scary unsecure location for this tiny amount of money and like why aren't you on prep and why don't you even know what prep is and so like as I was like judging these girls I was also creating this like fantasy checklist of like how it should be done and how it could be done safely and how it could be done legally and so between the inspiration of like finding out that this woman that I already was like a fan of and like respected a lot was already doing it in a brothel And just like seeing the way that I didn't want to do it and like feeling so much like concern for the safety of these people that I was trying not to care about because it felt like they were like undermining my environment. But like now that I have more clarity, I'm like, it's not a competition. There's enough money for everyone. There are enough clients for everyone. The people who want full service don't want the stripper service that I offered, which was like these are the rules. This is the container. I will tell you no if you try to get outside of the container and that makes you really safe. And I also kind of take that to the brothel where I'm just like, I'm not going to fuck you without a condom. Yeah. If it slips off, we're done. Yeah. So it's my responsibility, but it's also your responsibility because we both want to keep having fun, right? Yeah. And so I feel like the people who want that container and they want that safety are going to come to Sherry's and the people who want to like bear back their provider are going to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so we have like clear agreements and we have clear expectations. And I try to go into as much of that as feels good without scaring off the people who are new to the industry and are already just like terrified to be there. So it sounds like you stopped stripping and now you're at the brothel and how has that transition been? Like what's kind of like the favorite nicest thing or what do you notice that's different or like what's standing out to Natasha Rose in this new era? I don't know if it's my self-help journey, but I kind of crave constant evolution. And so I feel like things were so cut and dried, not only like with the club that I had worked at for so long and the expectations there, but there were kind of like financial limitations where as at Sherry's, it's kind of like the sky's the limit. Like, of course, I try to be flexible with people's budgets, but there's no way that I'm going to like give the same services for the same prices that I would in the strip club, because this might not be well known, but the house takes half of what we make. And so, yeah. And then out of our half, we have to pay taxes, staff tips, licensing fees, travel fees, supplies, room and board, like any costume pieces and things like that, unless the client brings them for us. And so I need at least double the pricing that I would charge in the strip club. But since I didn't offer full services in the strip club, that's where it's scary and terrifying, but also really juicy because sometimes it's like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing, but sometimes I'm like adding a zero at the end to the cost. 
And so without getting into specifics, like the parties where I've had the most connection with people, it tended to be the longer parties. So not only was it like higher value, but like the quality of attention that I was able to give and like the time that I was able to spend creating that connection were more in the luxury realm. And so I think it takes a lot of time to explore deeper fantasies. And then it also takes time for us to adjust to each other's frequency. So I like to offer like a full luxury experience where there's like the buildup with the foreplay. And sometimes if I'm in like a themed bungalow, there is a jetted jacuzzi tub. And so we can take a bubble bath and feed each other. And like all of that is included at a specific range. So from there and up, like you can order anything off of this like fancy menu. And then we also have like this specialty area, which is called Playland. You have to check it out on the website, but it's like some of the sexiest role play. Like I haven't gotten to play there yet, but I'm just like so excited. And some of the ladies that I work with have like these fantasies about having like threesomes or group parties. And like most of us have like sexy schoolgirl costumes and things like that, but they're also provided in that area. So uh, I want to play in Playland. So it really sounds like it's a lot like my experience as a photographer, <laughs> just to make a connection here in the regular world, where like I definitely experienced the people who were spending money energetically, they showed up more for their sessions and they got more out of it. Whereas the people that were like, I need a budget headshot, they tended to be the ones that had the most issues and they didn't bring good outfits and they were late, you know? I can imagine what it's like doing it with your body. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Like, I definitely always have fun with budgets of all sizes. And I do think that it is about their commitment to themselves. So when someone has like a more luxurious budget, they allow the spaciousness that's able to be created within that specific container. Whereas if we're too rushed or they only value the experience at like a specific level, then they're only able to create pleasure within their own body at that same level. And so I do think that it is reflective in that same way. That makes sense. Do you feel comfy sharing with us like how working with people in this way has affected your own personal sexy feelings? Again, it comes back to like projected shame. And so I think I assumed that my partners would have like more hesitation around dating a prostitute rather than dating a stripper. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's my self-confidence or just that I have so much fun and that I get so much validation at the brothel that I take that into my real life as well. But the partners that I've had since I've been a full service sex worker have been really fucking cool about it. Like Amazing. some of them get excited. Some of them want to hear every detail. Some of them don't want to know anything about it, but it's just like not an issue at all. Oh, wow. And I feel like it's almost like I've had higher quality lovers since I started doing full service. Amazing. Okay. Cause I'm like here being like, I want to cross off my bucket list. And I know that not one person can do everything. And I don't know how I'll find a partner who's going to be comfy with me crossing off my bucket list and sharing it. And then are they going to want to reclaim me? But you give me hope. Do you just tell them right away? Are you like baller? Like, Hey, guess what? It's kind of like in the sexual health checklist. Okay. Like I've gotten some flack from different therapists that I'm like trying to scare people off, but I'm just like, I don't want to emotionally bond with someone who doesn't no. want to meet the real me. Like they have to meet the real me as soon as I can trust that they can handle the information. I'm not really out in my community or to my family yet. And so okay. usually I kind of preface it by like, how comfortable are you with keeping someone else's secret? Like, does that feel dirty and shameful to you? Or are you comfortable with like holding that information separate from the things that you share about other aspects of their life? 
And then if they respond in a way that feels supportive to me, then I tell them like probably even before we have sex and a lot of times even before we kiss. So yeah, cool. Yeah. And I'm very picky. Like I've been seeking for a, a more deep, meaningful, spiritual, and maybe even magical connection with someone. And so I haven't really found that partner yet since I've been looking <laughs> and I'm doing a lot of sex magic about it. And Fuck so, <laughs> but I've been having like a lot of richness sexually in the meantime, and just exploring people where they're at and exploring the connection that does exist without trying to force it to be something that it's not. And of course I have like a deeper desire to have someone that is just as excited to explore Tantra as I am, or who might be as educated about Tantra or sex magic or magic in general as I am, which like, I'm a total magic nerd, like outside of pretty culty or like secret society environments. Like I don't find a lot of people that have as much knowledge about magic or applying that through ritual as I do. And so it's hard to find someone who meets me on all of these different levels. But I do believe that since I exist, then that partner has to exist somewhere in the world, right? It's just like a matter of putting myself out there and being open to being vulnerable with somebody who is at that level as well. I feel my (laughs) own version of that. Okay. I know we've talked about a lot, but will you please tell us about foot worship? Yes. That is one fetish that I actually got to explore at a professional level recently. Like I I got a lot of it when I was stripping just because I feel like in that environment you have to get creative. But with the lack of force to be creative at Sherry's, there's a lot less of that and it's more like straightforward fucking. But I did have the sweetest guy. Like there was no hesitation. He was ready. Like almost as soon as I approached him, the negotiation was easy. He was so respectful and kind and he was just so into it, which like gave me full permission to be so into it. And that's like one of my biggest turn ons is like being penetrated or fucked like in my pussy while I'm having my feet sucked or licked and worshipped. And so he was turned oh. on. I was turned on. We had so much fun together and it was like a perfect match. <laughs> simultaneous. Okay. It did not literally occur to me that it could be simultaneous. Okay. So literally like getting fucked in your leg is like up. So you're flexible. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, when you have like your legs on someone's like shoulders. Yeah. 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 Or, oh, that's true. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like your foot is like right there. Like it's so hard for me to not put my foot in someone's mouth during vanilla sex in that position. Like it's just like. <laughs> My knee-jerk reaction, like, I spent a lot of time just being like, well, my feet are so pretty. Of course they would want to suck on them. But, like, not actually doing it unless we've talked about it. Your toesies aren't ticklish or anything? In, like, a really delicious way. Like, I'm not overly sensitive. So you like feet and mouth, but, like, how else do we, like, worship? And do you like it even if you're not getting penetrated? Like, is it a turn-on piece for you? Yes. It's a totally erogenous zone for me. Like, especially the toes, but I've had people who kind of, like, deep-throated my entire foot. I've had people who like suck on my feet and my toes and then like use the spit to like give me like a really deep foot massage. I love that. Ooh. Um, yeah. I had a like total foot enthusiast at my strip club who had a beard. And so he would like deep throat and suck on my toes. And then I would like use the spit as like a lubrication and I would just kind of like massage my foot through his beard. And it was just like this like soft carpety experience which was like kind of tickly and sensational on my feet which was amazing (laughs) oh my gosh I am so curious about feet people oh I have a question I interviewed someone who like a year or two ago and he said that when he's coming if his partner pulls on his big toe it's amazing for him have you ever tried this or had this happen 
No. I want to try it. Okay. I want to try it now too. I also really have a fantasy about going on a date with someone who's really in defeat and playing footsie with them under the table. Have you ever gotten to do that? I got like a really orgasmic foot massage under the table. Like I was wearing like really silky stockings. So it was like very luxurious. Was there a tablecloth or was it like a bare table? No, it was a tablecloth. I'm very discreet. Like the older I get, the more private I am. Like I I used to be into public sex, but not so much anymore. Oh, okay. Can I tell you one more public sex story? (laughs) It was kind of like a double whammy because it was like, an elaborate but like successful plan to seduce my favorite comic book artist of all time. We went to an orgy together and it was like a costume party. And so we were wearing like cute outfits and I didn't end up fucking anybody besides him, but it was so hot to just like have sex in a room full of hot people having sex and like hearing their noises. And like, it was like being in a porno. It was like the coolest thing. My biggest hesitation about public sex is the consent factor. So the fact that we were all adults, we all had some level of like screening done and we were all consenting to be there in that environment made it really hot. And so I would totally do that again. I'm a little bit uptight about like swinging and like watching my partner fuck somebody else. Like I haven't recently had the proper foundation built where that's something that turns me on personally, but I am really turned on by the both voyeuristic and exhibitionistic like aspects of orgies and so i would definitely like fuck my partner at an orgy again in the future so well i'm doing my very best to create a really safe creation space where we can make those dreams come true because i hear that from a lot of people and (laughs) i also just was talking to my friend who creates vr games and i did not know that there was like a whole world of like avatars and like virtual sex parties that are happening like in vr and now they're getting to the point where there's more feedback and then they go off and pair together so i'm like maybe that's a screening process i don't know okay wow (laughs) i could clearly talk to you and fantasize with you forever but can you please tell us what are your sexual hopes for your future i do want to be tied up and be fucked with a fucking machine i've never had access to that before and so that's like a long-standing bucket list item yeah i went to a party with my former dom this was right before we broke up but we were having a grumpy night and i was weird and his whole personality changed when we got to the sex party and there was a sibian there and we were upstairs and no one was using it i also didn't know how to use it and he was weird. so i relate to that any other like specific fantasies or and more broadly speaking like just going forward i definitely also want to be in the middle of an eiffel tower like there's something so hot about like getting fucked onto someone else's cough. Like, especially if I had like a deep connection with a person who was like penetrating me, there's just something so sexy about like the force of their thrusting, like fucking me onto someone else and like them controlling like that at some level. It's it's really hot. So it's a little bit DS. And then also like, I definitely want to explore more like energetic and spiritual sex more deeply than I've had the opportunity to do so in like real life. Like I've done a lot of fantasy exploration during self-pleasure, but like mostly Tantra, but okay, this is, I don't know why this is taboo. I feel like vulnerable about sharing this, but I fantasize a lot about like washing my beloved's feet with my hair and creating our own like peroscamos or like sacred union ritual. And so that's like something that's like very near and dear to my heart and that I feel like I just have to experience before this lifetime ends. That almost makes, almost makes me want to have hair again. Okay. So if you could go back in time 
and give younger you a piece of sex advice, knowing that obviously time happened perfectly and everything's perfect as is and you're perfect the way you are and everything. But in a hypothetical situation, what age or ages would you pick and what would you say? Fortunately, I don't have a lot of regrets because my ex-future mother-in-law told me to enjoy my body while I was young. And I like, I still feel like I'm doing that. Like, I'm like, I'm still young enough to enjoy my body. So I just like took that and ran with it. And that inspired so much debauchery. (laughs) But I do think that I would probably tell my 14 year old self that if I didn't feel ready, it's okay to lose a boyfriend who puts pressure on me. Natasha Rose, where can people find you on the internet? I have the highest presence on Twitter and I'm Natasha XOXO Rose on both Twitter and Instagram. I also have an OnlyFans where I combine my spicy model pictures with a little bit of intimacy and love coaching and tantra coaching in the future. So right now I'm kind of going through foundational stuff and it's kind of like a self-guided go at your own pace kind of version. And it's just like a little sample over there Mm. as well. So my handle on OnlyFans is Pretty Blonde Natasha Rose and it's blonde with an E. (laughs) Awesome. And we will link to those in the description below. Natasha Rose, thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Do you have a sex question you want to ask me? What's the best public party that you've ever attended? Or is there one that you could recommend? 